What's up, guys? This is the Prime Design Podcast. My name is Mitra Kutumahenina. And my name is Ryan Srinivasan. And we are Cerberus Trillion, an independent video game studio. All right. So every week on this podcast, we talk about a certain section of the Critical Gaming Network Game Design 101 blog by Richard Terrell. Uh, the beast himself. Exactly. Big shout out to him. This week in particular, we will be recapping our past couple of episodes on mechanics and abstraction and going into Mario Melody's Interplay Part 1. So uh, we'll kick it off with a recap of mechanics and abstractions. Okay, so uh, mechanics are a crucial part of a video game because the video game is interactive. Um, and making good mechanics is crucial to creating a good game. Okay. So just about anything that you can do in a game could be classified as a mechanic, and then the resulting effects of a mechanic are its properties. Uh, a good example of that is Super Mario Bros. Jumping is a primary uh, mechanic, and then uh, squashing enemies is a property of that mechanic. So Super Mario Bros. Uh, is a good example of this. Jumping is a primary mechanic in that game. And then using the jump to jump on top of enemies is a property of that function. So abstract mechanics are mechanics that don't make sense with the mechanics of the game, and they vary from reality. Abstract mechanics cause a lot of problems, and we've gone over a bunch of examples in the past of how they present issues in making a game fun to play. So the more abstract a mechanic is, the less concrete it becomes, and vice versa. Oftentimes, abstract mechanics are placed over other game systems to make them more engaging. A lot of the times, this backfires, though, and makes them difficult to, to have fun whilst doing. <laughs> <laughs> so an example of this is uh, the killstreaks in COD. Um, you know, this might actually add to the thing, uh, but it's abstract. All right, so without limiting abstract mechanics, games end up being trial and error where the player is basically trying to come up with the most efficient way to get the most points or to be the most successful in the game. If you add limits, however, onto abstract mechanics, the game becomes more about being creative and having fun uh, while also succeeding in the game. So without limits to abstract mechanics, gameplay will boil down into trial and error and optimization instead of becoming emergent and expressive. This is the biggest danger of abstract mechanics. Elements of a mechanic, uh, we'll get into those now. So we got individual, does the input yield the same action every time? Intuitive, so now we'll get into mechanics and abstractions part two, uh, where we're going over the elements of a mechanic. So there's individual, does the input yield the same action every time? Intuitive, a measure of the degree to which input method matches the form of the game. Direct measure of how the changes in the method of input are paralleled with the action in the game according to the form of the mechanic. Dynamic, a measure of how the game world responds to the action according to the form of the game world and the mechanics does everything react realistically. Okay, and then uh, mechanics part three. Concrete mechanics, as we've said before, are better than abstract mechanics in general because the concrete mechanics will encourage self-expression, uh, whereas the abstract mechanics reduce gameplay to trial and error. 
When given a choice, players generally play with a soccer ball instead of memorizing something like a data structure because uh, the soccer ball has nearly infinite experiences associated with it. Whether that be juggling, playing soccer with your friends, it's always going to be a different experience. And with that, the past section of mechanics and abstractions has been summarized, and we will now move on to interplay. This is where not only do we talk about mechanics, but we get into what everyone kind of associates with games, and it's what makes games being played fun. That did not make any sense at all. Interplay is, it's, it's basically like, it's, it's the interactions within the game between mechanics at certain levels. Um, and so moving into this interplay section, uh, some parts of this will be me just kind of summarizing Richard Terrell and large chunks of it will be entirely verbatim because I think he did a great job of explaining his thoughts. And I feel that uh, the best way to get them out to people is the way he said it. And so I'd rather not cloud his message. So interplay. The games that we play, there are a range of effects that players have throughout the, the players themselves, the characters in the environment. And that's kind of how we describe how games are played. And that's how we describe how it's played over time. And so previously, as I just mentioned, um, we've discussed game mechanics as being concrete versus abstract. And these mechanics exist in three levels, primary, secondary, and tertiary. So the primary mechanics are the set of mechanics that make up the player's uh, interactivity and their core feeling. So it's the, what the player can actually do themselves. Secondary mechanics um, support, the primary, support the primary mechanics by giving more variation um, and they round out the feel of the game. And tertiary mechanics are actions that can only be executed based on some external source, uh, i.e. an enemy. And so in real life, we experience equal and opposite reactions all the time. So because these are so uh, intricately and intimately interconnected, the effects of a single action can cause a domino effect of cascading dynamic reactions. So like in life, game mechanics that exist within the game world that are part of this kind of push and pull system, they yield richer, more versatile, deeper gameplay experiences. Not just complex, but deeper. And this is the essence of interplay. And so the best way to think about interplay are counters, offense and defensive counters. And a good example of this would be like, if you think about something like Tekken, Mortal Kombat, um, just think about that fighting game. It boils down to, I have a move, like I'm gonna kick you, and then you have a move like a block. And so if I kick you and you block, you have countered my attack with the defensive counter. So then I think, okay, so if you blocked, there has to be a way that I can overcome your block. So I'll try like a punch, because your knee is blocking my kick, so I'm gonna punch you, but then you duck my punch. So then I say, okay, so you've ducked my punch, now I have to find another way. So wait, you're not blocking my kicks, so I'm gonna kick you again. So it's like this back and forth between offense and defense, between various mechanics, that creates that interplay. And so um, 
as the situation keeps changing, that's how this cycle keeps repeating. And the more counters you have and the more mechanics that kind of do this, you don't necessarily have to have a ton, but it's just a matter of their relationships being meshed together perfectly creates just webs upon webs of interplay. Um, and so the more interplay you have involving the more primary mechanics and the more level elements and stuff, the deeper and more dynamic a game is. Now let's go into some examples to really highlight how this works. All right, so Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. All the bosses in, in this game are well-designed with a good amount of interplay uh, that allows the player to constantly flow with the action instead of just waiting around for weak spots to reveal themselves, as I'm sure we've all experienced in boss battles. So in uh, one of the early boss battles, it's against Torch Tusk, uh, where players utilize explosive pineapples uh, offensively to counter boss attacks of fireball, fireball projectiles and lasers. So Torch Tusk will take in air and then in order to shoot the fireballs. When he's doing this, the player can throw pineapples at him. Uh, the pineapples will get jammed inside of Torch Tusk's tusk, uh, <laughs> causing damage to Torch Tusk. Uh, they can also stop Torch Tusk's lasers by hitting him with a pineapple while he's charging up. The boss can also counter the player's offensive attacks by intercepting oncoming pineapples. Um, yeah. So uh, the interplay between them where the player always has offensive attacks and the boss also has that um, means that there's always something for the player to do that is beneficial to them. In addition, uh, the the explosive pineapples are put at the top and bottom of uh, the level, this, which encourages the player to move around. Yeah, so now, if you've ever played Super Mario Galaxy, there's a boss battle with the Bouldergeist, um, where Mario can't attack the boss directly. And so, he almost immediately, the player has to find another way to do damage. So, the... In one way that Mario can do damage is to blast away the rocky exterior of the Bouldergeist using bomb booze. Um, it's a weird bomb booze. <laughs> booze. They're like ghosts if you've ever played Mario. If you've never played Mario, um, so once that weak spot is revealed, um, you just need to use more bomb booze to finish off this this uh, this boss. But it's not that easy. He he ends up Bouldergeist can attack Mario with his own punches, shockwave, rock walls, hand slams, and projectile rocks, some of which also contain bamboos that can attack Mario. So the boss has a bunch of attacks of his own. And, but then Mario avoids all of these, so his counter to all of the boss's attacks are his maneuvering. But he can only, he can't attack any of these things directly. He has to do it by a spin attack or shooting star bits at them. And so the rocks that contain bamboos are the boss's second level counter. So even if Mario avoids the rocks, he will be chased by bamboos and they find Mario and explode on contact. But these boos can't be hurt with normal jumps. So you have to find another counter to the bamboos. And so he counters them with a spin attack. And so Mario has to have a counter to the, like, I guess, minions of the, the boss, but also to the boss himself. He has to have a different counter. And so when Mario attacks 
to spin. He spin attacks to beat the Bombu. Now he can swing the ghosts around by their tongue for an explosive attack. And then he uses that explosive attack to damage the main body of the Bouldergeist to expose the weak spots. Um, and so now to counter Mario, Bouldergeist attacks on a secondary function using his hands and the rock walls um, as shields. Now Mario has to avoid hitting the defensive moves. So he's not necessarily getting hit with anything, but now his offense is being countered with like a, a shield. And so now he has to um, use the bamboos themselves. And so as he's swinging them, the bamboos slowly retract their tongues, getting closer to Mario. So now he has to, um, that's the final defensive counter that the bamboos have. So you can't swing forever. Um, he has to just, you have to throw the bamboos over and over again quickly or they explode in you. So it's honestly, uh, and it's, it's perfectly timed in terms of the, the length of the bamboo, of the boo's tongues, because the, you have to, uh, be able to throw it quick enough or it destroys you. And to me, this is, I haven't played this. I mean, I think I've played Super Mario Galaxy, but I don't think I, I don't, I don't remember this level. This is ridiculous. Cause I think first you have to wait for the boss to attack and his attack is what you use to find his weak spot but then he can defend against that and you have to defend against the counter that you will use against the boss to me this is ridiculous and i think that apparently i mean it seems all perfectly seamless and in perfect steps and everything it's just beautiful um another example this is just amazing another example of rich interplay is the um in the game uh beautiful joe um and in beautiful joe it's there's a lot of interplay between the enemies the bosses and the player but it doesn't go the the the, the mechanics don't go past the second uh level so but everything's highly interconnected so what, what it looks like is there's a single attack from a boss or an enemy and then there's one obvious counter to that attack but at any time players can then use their special effects powers to speed up time, slow it down, or zoom in on the camera to adjust the difficulty of executing the counter in real time. And so if an, if an attack is too fast for the player, they can simply slow down time to make things easier. But as the enemies and attacks begin to layer together, everything gets complicated because you have to stay powered up, but that drains your energy and when you're out of energy when joe when joe is out of energy he loses his powers and his double jump and he takes more damage but the, but you have to manage your energy and using that time to counter the attacks but this all just becomes very interconnected um throughout the battles um and so you can even other examples of interplay can come it doesn't even have to come from multiple uh characters in the game that come from one character a single point um if we look at super smash brothers brawl there's a character uh squirtle squirtle has this ability to tuck himself into a shell and slide across the stage and so while inside that shell he cannot take any damage but that also means that he's in the shell and he doesn't know when to stop and so what players can do is you strike the shell and you move changes director the trajectory in whatever direction you want and so what 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 will happen is Squirtle will start sliding across the stage and then you kick it and he'll slide the other way right off the stage. But what that means is then Squirtle has to jump out of the shell to make it back on the stage. So he has to open himself up again to damage. But then you can counter that move by 
um, jumping on top of the shell even. Um, and when that happens, Squirtle flips on his back and he becomes this like helpless turtle for a second. Um, and so these are just, you know, a few examples of how games can have beautiful interplay. And I think these are some of the things that designers should really take into account as to in bringing it back to concrete versus abstract, like if I bring in this mechanic, is it actually going to bring in this layer of gameplay that forces interplay between the um, character, the player, the enemy, the environment that brings some more depth, not complexity, but depth. Now you can bring complexity and depth, but just, I think depth is the more important thing here. Um, I guess to drive this home, uh, an analogy that Richard Trell uses is music. Music has, especially like classical stuff and, uh, and jazz, um, the, within the music there's a variety of notes, rhythms, um, and even time. And what that, you know, what that looks like is there's a lot of notes that are held for a long time, there's a lot of short notes, there's syncopation, um, there's different um, time signatures, different key signatures, different whether it's going up a scale, down a scale, um, different patterns, things like that. And so these are all analogous to game mechanics that can be played off of each other um, and really make almost a symphony of game design. And so, yeah, interplay's dope. And we're gonna move on to, in the next uh, episode, I believe, like different types of interplay, I think we're just going to explore them uh, through Mario. Like looking at Mario and the different webs of interplay it has and the different levels and just being able to recognize um, how interplay works. And so that's next week. So um, a cool game, or let me rephrase that, a game that I picked for this week that has a cool mechanic um, is the body armor in GoldenEye 007, the original first-person shooter, the OG. Um, and I, that was my first foray into uh, FPSs, and I was young. I don't remember how old I was, but I was young. And when I remember playing the campaign, and you would campaign a multiplayer, and you'd get shot like four times without body armor. And I'm sitting here like, wait a minute. Like we have this little ticker on the left that's showing us we have like eight shots left. And I'm thinking like in real life, that's just not like, no. But then you get this body armor you can pick up and you actually have like, that makes slightly more sense um, because body armor in real life does kind of save you from death. Like you can get shot like a couple times and it saves you from death. But uh, which, which is funny because it, it turns the health of the player from something less, so something more abstract to something more concrete once you add the body armor. Because now you're actually, it makes sense to get hit three times and not die versus not wearing the body armor and you get hit eight times and then you fucking you just die. To me, that just makes no sense. But once you added the body armor, you, um, the game got a little more concrete. That's weird though, because you added, I don't know, it's like going backwards. It feels like most things people add become more con like abstract, but this made it more concrete, at least in my eyes. I don't know, maybe other people would disagree. Um, but, yes. Now. Um, you guys may have, uh, may have heard, or you may have played this game, but uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 has come out, and a brave soul 
over at Treyarch decided it was time to kill the Call of Duty campaign. So the game is just multiplayer, zombies, and then their battle royale mode, but there's no campaign in it. And I, I mean, the past, what, like 10 Call of Duties, or I don't even know what number on, the past like seven at least have been pretty mediocre campaigns. Uh, so it's really interesting to me that they finally listened to how much everyone hated it, axed it, and yeah, just gave the people what they wanted, which was pretty much multiplayer and zombies. Yeah, and I think that I think that they they realized. I don't know what whether it was the uh, the latest uh, installment of COD was it the the World War One uh, or was World it World War Two? I don't remember. I don't even remember anymore. But I think they're starting to realize like the landscape of FPS is now moving further and further from like campaign. Mm-hmm. Or like like games that have a lot of what's the word? Excuse me. Um, like if you look at like there's plenty of games that have single player campaigns purely. Like if, you know, and we talked about that in a previous episode. But those games are like meant to be campaign games. I feel like this game, it's calling now. It's it's mark is multiplayer. It has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then campaign just took a back seat. And now if they focus on the multi, they can make a great multiplayer experience move the team that worked on the campaign solely to work on the multiplayer. And you could, I think you can make a way better experience. So I'm kind of glad that they did this because I don't know, maybe it'll get me back into COD. I've just been really not COD for a long time. <laughs> I actually kind of like the campaigns though. I got to say like, like black ops one, and like uh what world at war and then like modern warfare one and two no yeah no the campaigns back in the day were dope but i think because that was such a focus people actually knew about the campaign people cared about the campaign you know you know but now it's like i don't remember anyone talking about the advanced warfare campaign i think it's just like all the campaigns recently have just been so bad that i think people have gotten away from them and i think multiplayer has always been such a big draw anyway so but yeah man i mean Modern Warfare 2, that snow level where you there's all like stealth and, and you had to like uh, go around and kill people in the blasting snow. That was so much fun. <laughs> I love that. Nah, dude. Yeah, the campaigns were, they were kick-ass back in the day. Yeah. They really were. Yeah, so that's the show for this, uh, for this week. All right, everybody. So we are on all the social media platforms, every single one. <laughs> we are yes. on... Her, her, uh, uh, so we are on Twitter at Cerberus Trilly Two. That's C E R B E R U S capital T R I L L I two. Number two, not number two. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the, the two two symbol. Okay. Um, we're on Instagram at Cerberus Trillion, one word. We are on Snap uh, Snapchat. Rather at Sir Trill C E R T R I L L. We are on our website on the World Wide Web at mm. serverstrillion.com. Uh, and that is under construction, so <laughs> keep going that's back a way to, better way to say that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> keep going back. There's always gonna be new stuff on there. So yep. stay posted for that. Um, our YouTube channel, uh Cerberus Trillion. And on Medium, 
where we're posting our blog. It's uh, Cerberus Trillion. We're on Facebook at Cerberus Trillion. And we got our Discord, Cerberus Trillion. You guessed it. Once again, Cerberus Trillion, all those. So, uh, yeah, and then we're, we're going to be doing live streams at some point, just live streaming a few things. So uh, stay, stay posted for that. At Cerberus Trillion. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's the episode. Thanks for listening. Um, see you guys in the next one, um, hopefully next week or I guess whenever. But, yeah. yeah. See you guys. All right. See you.